Hi, and welcome to Cellblock Age podcast. I'm your host, Lars. Before we get into the second episode of Prisoner Cellblock Age, I just want to address two things. First of all, I'm sorry for not releasing an episode earlier, but work got in the way, then I got a concussion and was not able to do anything for a week, and after that I've been busy with work and just life in general. This leads into the second thing, and it's about my schedule. I said in my introductory episode that I plan on releasing one episode a week, and it's still my plan, but it might take some time before I get into that schedule. I found out that it took me longer than I anticipated writing a script, script, recording, editing, and writing show notes. I'm not sure just how frequent I can produce episodes in the start of this podcast, but I'll try my best to get the shows out, out as fast as possible. I might soon be getting some help from a friend of mine who's a musician, and hopefully he can learn me some things about editing that will shorten down my time editing the episodes. I know that I do things fairly redundant right now, but it's better than nothing. I also want to thank everyone who has liked and commented on my Facebook page, Cellblock H Podcast. Links will be in the show notes. I'm really thrilled that you liked the two first episodes of the podcast, and please let me know if you have any thoughts or comments regarding the podcast. As of writing this, the podcast have been out for 11 days and gotten 67 downloads. Um, that's probably not right, because when I'm recording this, it's like three <laughs> weeks later. Anywho, uh, it not may seem, seem that much to you, but it means the world to me. I thought it might get a couple for, for friends and family just because I've asked them to check it out and see if they could find it on the podcast app. So I'm super thrilled about the idea that I got people literally listening from around the globe. We got people in the UK, Sweden, US, Bosnia, Herzegovina, Australia and Portugal. Thank you all uh, out there for listening to this. It means a lot. I'm going to stop now and let's get on with the show and cue the intro. You'll do as you're told, because if you don't, I'll be in charge of the beating next time. The longer I stay in here, the less chance I have of going back across the Nullarbor. And that suits me fine. You don't ever tell a screw anything about anything. I sentence you to six months detention in Wentworth. Episode 2 of Cell Block H was first aired the 27th of February 1979. It was written by Reg Watson, produced by Ian Bradley and directed by Graham Arthur. Synopsis. Mrs. Jackson is a prison baby. B gives her old hubby a banging surprise. Mom's daughter is not a total bitch. She give you a ride and she will get your room. Frankie starts scheming of being top dog. Lynn is super serial about being innocent. And Marty's too cool for school. <laughs> First viewing this time around. The 25th of August 2018 and that's actually almost a month ago um, when I first saw this episode again so it, yeah it's it's been a while hopefully the process will be getting a lot short and I won't have a concussion and be out for a week and stuff like that anyways um, we start the episode with the same opening as the first one with the women going about their business carefree when a gate slams over the shot and we get their mug shots. Uh, it doesn't bother me as much this time around, but 
I still don't I still don't like it. After this, we get some somewhat somewhat of a recap as to what happened last episode. B gets up from her bed uh, when she hears someone unlocking the gate and proceeds to unlock her door. She sneaks out, and both her and this for us unknown officer goes through the prison until they get to the cell of Lynn Warner. I'm wondering to myself if this scene is a bit longer in the episode before. It feels like it, but I'm I'm not exactly sure. Anyways, we continue straight on where from where the last episode ended, and and all B wants is just a simple talk to Lynn to see what to see that she gets what happened in the laundry was nothing more than a mere accident and nothing else. Thinking back to it from what we know happens later in the episode, B is quite the cold and calculating person who can serve a 10-year sentence for murder, do everything in her power to go free, and just after one day in freedom kill her husband for not caring for the daughter. One might just wonder what what would have happened to Lynn if she defied Queen Bee and told the truth. She just might have might have end up dead. She tries to convince Lee Lynn that it's in her best interest to see that B gets her parole. That way she won't have to see her anymore and B won't be eager for retaliation for not getting out. The officer knocks on B's door on, on the door and B hurries out. She tells the screw she'll pay her tomorrow. They both go back the way they came. Morning comes around. The camera shows up shows us a close-up of Karen as she slowly wakes up to the morning bell and realizes in a matter of seconds that it wasn't just all a dream. She's actually in jail for stabbing her husband. Vera won't have any any of the nonsense Karen is putting up. She should be up and about, dressed and ready for for when the bell rings at 6.30 and 7. The room must be tidied and off to breakfast we go. Old Miss Bennett doesn't like to repeat herself. I'm amazed just how big and big and high those beds are, especially those in the single cells. Lynn is up and dressed as she walks out her cell. A bright and shiny bee greets her with a smile. Morning, Lynn. Sleep well, dear? No. Oh, pity. Never mind. Things might be easier for you after today. Know what I mean? <laughs> This is so fucking cheeky of B, but when you're Queen B, you can pre- pretty much do anything you want in the prison and get what, get away with it. I mean, what the hell is Lynn going to do? B walks away carefree as we cut to Frankie in solitary. Solitary. Vera wakes up Doyle with some some happy news. B's getting out, but it wouldn't be old vinegar tits without putting Frankie down in the next moment, with her stating that she'll never take up take over as top dog because she she's too stupid and i really can't tell if frankie's face is puffy from crying all night or if she's getting a cold from spending her time up in solitary but no time to reflect on it Bee's getting out and frank is taking over she slides her back down the door of the cell and takes a squat to ponder over how she's going to be top dog oh my that shirt on bill that's a really, really freaking ugly, but I kind of like it. <laughs> Anywho, before Meg can wake Marty, wake up Marty, Bill wants to talk to her. He feels like it's t- 
time for her to give up her job, partly because he feels the strain of the job is getting to her, and it's time for her to just be a wife and mother. Meg, of course, think this, thinks this is batshit crazy talk from Bill and refuses to quit her job. Good for you, Meg. Stand up for yourself and your career. And what's, what's the deal with those kitchen tiles? I just want to claw out my eyes. As for being a mother, well, we have a very independent son of 16. He doesn't need us. We brought him up that way. How could I help him by giving up my job? You're right, Meg. Marty's a bad motherfucker who can take care of himself. Hell, he doesn't even want to stay home with his stupid parents anyway. And this is actually a real odd break. And it isn't as effectful uh, with the drum roll and the slow closing of the gate. It really takes... A away a lot of the impact uh, of the son not having slept home at night the night before and i think it would have been better with the new break with just a short slam of a gate because this is trying to work up some mood and momentum with the drum roll but it doesn't really work anyways we go to lynn where she's trying to fix her bandage as mum, the nice old lady who just gives motherly advice, comes in and gives her a hand. They have a nice chat about prison life. By the way, mum's getting out so she doesn't have to give two shits about you, and she never did. Oh wait, she did carefully that one time, relaying the prisoner code about lagging with just a hint of violence if she were not to follow it. It's it's a really odd scene where mum is talking to Lynn and she just doesn't really give it two shits about what Lynn's saying. And it's... <laughs> I mean, mum has seen it all and isn't shocked anymore. Lynn tried to bury that child, but she's here now, so it's all right. She also got punished by the woman for <laughs> inside for a crime, so it's all okay. And totally ignoring the plea of innocence for Lynn. It's, <laughs> it's so fucking weird. She just cuts her off when she's trying to, to, to talk about it. And she just, yeah, she doesn't give two fucks about it. She's getting out and why should, why should she care? I mean, don't get me wrong. I kind of like the character, Mum. Uh, at least what I've remembered her, of her. Uh, it's just that she's not so innocent as one would have believed just because she's an old, old lady. So yeah, yeah. Um, from what I've remembered um, last time and, and the times before us have have seen this show, I, I kind of like Mum, but it's super weird when you really, really start to analyse every scene and every little detail of the show. We go back to the Jackson residence as Bill and Meg are about to leave. The baller and totally not a kid Marty comes home, expecting his parent to, parents to all have already gone to work. I mean, this is the reason I don't want any kids. Fuck me. <laughs> They're a hassle from the get-go and get douchier and douchier by the moment. Marty can't give two fucks about what his stuffy old parents think. They treat him like one of the prisoners, lock him up, and they're never home. Good riddance to bad rubbish, eh? <laughs> Moving on, Mrs. Davidson asks Lynn to give a statement about the incident, or shall we rather say accident. Erica knows she's lying and gives Vera a quick look, saying that she isn't surprised, but 
what could he do? Mum nips in quickly for a moment. And for a moment we see that Mrs. Davison has two rotary phones. And if you don't know what that means, I'll leave a link in the description about rotary phones. Back to the point. And one of those phones has been working out as being on some supplements. <laughs> I mean, it looks, it looks fucking ridiculous. Uh, I'll leave a link to that one as well uh, and you can see for yourself it, it's super super weird if anyone knows why it's so fucking huge uh, I'll be very very happy if you can tell me why anyways mum and Mrs. Davison have a little chat about mum's release mum's body language and how she talks makes me think she's become somewhat somewhat institutionalized and Afraid of going out in the world that probably has seen has seen a great deal of change since the f she first became a prisoner. We go to Bee's cell and see just how chirpy and excited Bee is to getting out. And can you blame her? Bee hasn't phoned a fella, but she has it all figured out. She's gonna surprise the old man. Is he ever getting a surprise? She gives the photo a kiss and asks Marilyn to speak to Doreen alone. She gives Doreen a stern warning about siding with Frankie as soon as B leaves. Dor Pinky Swear crosses her heart and hopes to die. Frankie's scaring Doreen and it won't be like the other times. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry about that. You can really tell that Doreen is scared and intimidated by B when she asks if someone new is taking over. Not just by the, her threats but also probably the fact that she's leaving the woman and someone new might take over. You never know what you're going to end up with. The party has just started as B's speech is suddenly interrupted by Frankie coming in. Mrs. Davison asks Miss Bennett what Frankie is doing here and Vera just replies that she was to be let out, knowing perfectly well she could have waited for the party to be over. But what's the funny in that? <laughs> oh, come in, Frankie. Wouldn't be the same without your smiling face. Just don't go smashing the furniture, eh? <laughs> <laughs> well, things might change for the better. Or they might change for the worse. We'll just have to wait and see, won't we? <laughs> that fucking Travolta poster cracks me up every time. Man, wish it would have been a poster of him as Vincent in Pulp Fiction instead. <laughs> Oh, that's a great movie. Anyway, we see that even though you might get out and be a free citizen again, you may feel like you're trapped alone. Trapped alone and not welcome. It relays the message quite clear, as Ian Bradley pointed out on the commentary track uh, for the first episode. Everyone is a prisoner of some sorts, whether you're in a prison or not. We cut to the governor's office, where Merlin is let in by the same screw that helped B earlier. We still don't know who this is, but she sure isn't playing by the rules. Marilyn uses the regular size phone to call her boy toy Eddie. Marilyn asks Eddie for a favor by P picking up B and driving her into town. She also promised him to fix the wiring so he can come, <laughs> come and visit some more. As we go to the doctor's office, Rose is worried about bringing a baby into the world while he's been in prison because she's, she believes that it will taint him for the rest of his, of his life. 
Then we learned that Mrs. Jackson was a prison baby uh, herself and turned out just fine. But she isn't really convinced that Meg told her the truth and that she just tried to calm her down with that silly story. Lorraine is in a bit of a hurry, B, and can't be bothered hearing you blab on about how much the girls loved mum. Being not very impressed by Lorraine, B rolls her eyes at her as she follows mum's to the car. But I do have to give it, give it to Lorraine, though. It is a smashing suit she's wearing. Hi, Woody. Been waiting long? Yeah, ten years. <laughs> Back in the laundry, Marilyn shows Karen how to operate the press and Doreen is feeling a bit under the weather so she might have to go see the spunky new doctor. Even though Frankie might not be so keen on a doctor, she sure is keen on taking over the press. What do you know, it seems like Karen can't handle the steam after all, so it's probably best that Frankie handles the press from now on. And that fucking tongue flicking from Frankie is so funny. She sticks her tongue out at Karen for getting depressed like a small child would do. But it's also very sexual and provocative in a crude way. As we cut away from the laundry, we go to a pizza hut on fucking pillars. It's like five, four or five meters up in there and looks fucking stupid. But I guess it's it's a way to save save space for some parking. Oh man, Lorraine is a total bitch. Even she admits it. It's all about appearance and reputation. Mum being an ex-con would look bad amongst Lorraine's friends. And she also wants a clean break. I mean, can we really blame her? <laughs> sure, she sure as hell is being honest. But she isn't a total bitch. She did offer her mother a lift into town and pay for a room. Leaving her here would just be cold, a cold-hearted thing to do. As for B, she got herself in a, she got herself a private chauffeur who's taken her to the Monarch Hotel to spend the night in luxury. If my calculations are right concerning her earnings, she should have been able to a real fucking blowout. If she worked laundry for ten years, uh, the ten years she stayed inside, she made about one thousand nine hundred fifty Australian dollars, and in today's value, that will be. That would uh, be 9,945.89 cents of Australian dollar, and that's about 7,300 American dollars. So yeah, she should have been able to stay at least one night, I mean, even if it was a suite. And as a swing back to the prison, we see Craig doing all the heavy lifting in the doctor's office by first telling the sister to bandage Lynn's hand. And then after hassling with Karen about her abusive husband and getting frustrated and angered, he goes to the sister in the other room just to make her show Karen out. What fucking power games are you playing, Greg? Come on, fuck me. <laughs> uh, we get a short interaction between Greg and Bill where the good doctor lets off some steam about how foolish he thinks Karen is by doing such menial tasks at work as working in the laundry. Keeping your hand in, eh? What do you mean? Digging holes. <laughs> Better look out, love. She'll be burying you alive next. Oh, God, how many more times? I didn't do it! Of course you did it. You put that little boy into that hole. <laughs> That's what you did. Leave her alone, Frankie. I'm not gonna leave her alone. <laughs> Man, I just love Frankie. Always trying to get to the other women picking 
and picking fights. Frankie loves to stir the pot. After a little fight, Lynn decides to go decides to hunger strike until someone starts taking her seriously regarding her innocence. We go back to B, who is just getting settled in the Monarch Hotel as the bellhop carries in her luggage. First of all, holy ravioli, Batman! That is one mother of a come over. As he gets his tip from Eddie, Big decides to give him one as well. Oi, I'll give you a tip as well. You look down your nose at me once more while I'm here, and I'll chuck you through that bloody window. <laughs> now get out. <laughs> that nervous laughter Eddie gives is just amazing. Probably known perfectly well she, she'll probably do it if he tries this. So he tries to disarm it, <laughs> it all with a laugh. Let's order up some champagne and revisit some old memories about working in the kitchen but never seeing the inside of the rooms. Ten years of planning and scheming inside and she's finally here. Poor Eddie. He doesn't know, <laughs> doesn't know what to think of B taking me now to dinner and the show. Maybe he's a bit worried about her hubby. Don't worry Eddie. He'll be dead soon. Also, a bit shy perhaps. Or maybe he's worried about that Marilyn will find out. Fuck it. Let's blow the lot in the next 24 hours because it won't be much use after this. Man, it's quite the contrast between B and Mum. With B, all is well and happy as, sh- as can be. Spending all her money on one last thing before going back inside. She's been planning this a long time and it will be all worth. Then we go to Mum. She's just been abandoned by her daughter and went from a secure the security of a stable home and a family to her renting a shitty house room that's dark, gloomy and even smaller than her cell. We get a break on her crying and holding the blanket the women made for her. Newsflash. Mart is a big boy now at 16. He's ditching his parents for a girl and he feels it's time to move on. We go back to B, who's woken up by the telephone ringing. She gets her bearing when, with a smile, she wakes up for the first time in ten years as a free woman. This in stark contrast to Karen, waking up as a prisoner early in the episode. Breakfast in bed, a visit to the salon for the best, best treatment. I mean, you gotta, go, <laughs> gotta look your best when you're surprising your hobby. She goes to meet up Val, a dear and loyal friend that brings Bee's pressure for her husband. But not without trying to convince Bee not to go through with it. But you can't get Bee to change her mind. Oh no. She goes to visit her daughter's grave and we get a flashback where Debbie visits Bee in the prison. Debbie has been kicked out by her father and she's in trouble. She wants her mother's help but it's all in vain. Bee's locked up inside. In another flashback we see Bee crying and being told by Vera she's not allowed to attend Debbie's funeral. When the hell did you get out? Yesterday. Well, you don't think you're coming back, are you? Oh, I don't want to come back. I just bought you a present. So we end episode two and it ends with Bee killing her husband after just being released the day before. This is the second episode of the show, and as I've said before, they don't waste any time and lace it on pretty thick. Here we have the top dog of the prison, and has probably had that position for quite some time. And we learn that she's been planning to off her hobby for some time, blaming him for her daughter's death.
it's pretty cold and calculated to sit 10 years for murder and planning the last years of the sentence to kill your husband after your parole knowing perfectly well that you end up right back inside. It must have been such a thrilling ride to see this when it first aired. And I've been a fan since the show since the early 2000s and I'm really starting to appreciate appreciate it even more I should say now that I've started to analyze and really gotten into the nitty gritty of the show. And it's still hard for me to grasp that I've only seen two episodes so far but it's probably due to the fact that I've been seeing the episodes over and over again writing scripts, recording it, going over the recording several times before releasing it and man it's so fucking hard not to just keep watching and ditching the podcast but I won't I won't do that. But it is a lot of work and does take a lot take up a lot of time. Anyways, spoilers. 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 Yeah, it's spoiler time. So if you haven't seen the show before, you should probably stop listening now. And for you has seen the show let's get to it but one thing before i get into it that i really want to clarify is when i say the characters appeared between episode a and episode y it doesn't mean that they were in all those episodes it's just the first and last episode of that character appearing in the show so yeah if a character was in the show between episode 2 and 69 they might have just been in that those two episodes two and six nine because it's the first and last episode of, of them uh, anyways i actually found a contemporary article written in mere days after the second episode was aired for the first time um and i will leave a link in the show notes and most of my information comes from who's who in wentworth and as always i will leave a link to that site as well hi bill we might as say might as well say bye bill of the two coming episodes sorry but you were just means to an end making life a lot tougher for meg and getting chrissy in the series and that's actually all we see of the actor don baker he's in episode two until episode four we also meet the son marty who's who will be played by three different actors first of all we get ronald corosi he plays marty in the episodes two until six then we got andrew mckay and he plays martin in the episodes episodes 381 until 406 he also voice voice acts for a couple of the halo games last and my favorite of the martys is played by michael winchester and he plays marty from episode 625 until the last episode 692 and i think this is only the only character that had three different actors uh, during the show and the only one I can think of on top of my head is the character Lisa Mullins who's first played by Nikki Paul between episode 651 and 656 and she left due, due to being diagnosed with glandular fever. She also played Doris Cruikshank, wife of Dennis Cruikshank between episodes 478 and 481. That character was kind of a bitch. She also had a role in the movie Queen of the Damned as a flight attendant. The other gal who played Lisa is Terry Worrell and she was in the show from episode 657 until the end, 692. We also welcome Rosie, played by Anne-Marie MacDonald, who will appear in the next coming episodes and finally will end her term in the show in episode 74. And apparently 
she's an opera singer. That was really, really odd and did not accept, expect that. Then we have Reg Evans who played Eddie's boss and he will later appear as Fred between episodes 315 and 321 as a foreman where B does her work leads. He later on plays Mick Foxy Lawson, an old friend of Lizzie's in episode 398. His final role is, a, is as the private dick Howard Simmons who works a case for Jenny Hartley in episodes 561 and till 584 and he also had a role in Mad Max as station master. Next up we have Anne Charleston, mom's daughter. She visits us, visits us between episode 2 until episode 6. She later on plays a policewoman on two occasions in episode 345-346 and then in episode 354. But she's probably most known for her role as Deirdre Keane, Reb Keane's mother. Next up we have Billy Hamburger, Hammerberg, sorry, Hamburger, Hamburglar, um, who plays B's old friend Valerie Richardson, Richardson between episodes 2 and episode 36. But we all remember her as being one of the Barnest Five, namely May Collins. Last but not least, we have a current lead and most roles played in the actor Bill Bennett, who played 10 different characters uh, in the show. We start off Mr. Gibson, who pe- appeared between episodes 2 to until 4 as Mom's landlord. We next see him as an old codger, as a customer in the nasty cafe where Karen works in episode 59. He also plays an old man having a heart attack in episode 73. Ross Carlson tries to help him instead of getting away on a bus as she's fleeing from the law. He also plays a hotel receptionist in the episodes 109, a garbage collector in 147, who delivers a flick knife for Kathleen Leach with a message from McNally. He's back in episode 163 as a city hall clerk. In 199 he plays an old man again. This time he lives in mom's flat when Beast tried to visit her during her escape. He plays a cleaner in, 100, in episode 199. A magistrate in 371 that decides that B and Lizzie should stand trial for murdering Nola McKenzie. And he does his final role in the show as judge as at Martha's Myra's trial in episode 446. So yeah, he's he's a current leader in in most roles played in the in the, in the show. Uh, I'm actually not sure if there is anyone who had more roles than him. Yeah, that was all I've got for you this time. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. And if you want to con- contact me regarding anything about the show, please do so by tweeting me at cellpodcast, emailing me at cellblockagepodcast at gmail.com or contact me on Facebook at cellblockagepodcast. Thanks again for listening. Let's cue the outro and get the fuck out of here. Can you hear me loud?